This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9 is 7.07. It's Thursday, the 7th of December. And of course, you're listening to The Morning Run with Keith Kam, Anwar Mabo, and I'm Wong Xiaoning. Now, in about 30 minutes, we'll discuss Shein and its threat to Southeast Asia's e-commerce platforms with Nathan Naidu of Bloomberg Intelligence. But in the meantime, let's recap how global markets closed yesterday. Well, the Dow closed down 0.2%. S&P 500 was down 0.4%. While the Nasdaq was down 0.6%. On the Asian side, Nikkei was up 2%, Hang Seng was up 0.8%, the Shanghai Composite unfortunately was down 0.1%, STI was up 0.3%, and our very own FBM KLCI was down 0.3%. Okay, so somewhat of a mixed uh, day for markets, but for more insights into where international markets are heading, we speak to Tony Nash, CEO of Complete Intelligence. Good morning, Tony. Can we start off with all, please? Because the prices have fallen to a two-year low. Please help us understand why, especially since OPEC Plus has committed to uh, supply cuts till at least March. Yeah, crude prices were down almost 4% today, I think. So additional OPEC Plus crude cuts, they're not major new supply holdbacks. So doing small incremental cuts through that, OPEC is saying that they really don't want to do too much to unsettle prices. I think generally there's a view that the market is kind of in balance. And there, I think there are a lot of worries in OPEC countries with the economy in China and the economy in, in Europe. I think the U.S. is doing okay. I mean, it, could be great or it could not be great. We saw it with some of the job stuff today, but they're mostly worried about consumption in, say, East Asia and Europe. U.S. job openings pulled back in October to the lowest level since early 2021, underscoring a gradual cooling in the labour market. Now, do these figures support expectations that the Fed will leave interest rates unchanged at next week's policy meeting? It's likely that the Fed will keep things unchanged. And if we look at job growth, it's really just dropping to long-term trend levels. So if we look at this on a longer-term basis, the total jobs in the U.S. is now really just at the level it was if we extrapolated kind of the normal Jan 2020 jobs until today. We're kind of back at that line. So we're likely to see the new openings and, and other things slow down. So the other thing to keep in mind is we've seen downward revisions of previous job openings data, which implies to me that job openings will likely be weaker in the near term. So what does that do for us? Well, the wages and the employment mandate that the Fed has, that's coming into line. They're slowing down that job growth. We've seen inflation slow. And so are we right on target with the Fed? No, which is why they're keeping rates higher. But I don't think markets and data are telling the Fed that they need to tighten now. So December is likely on hold. Going back to the job data, tomorrow your time, you're going to get non-farm payroll data. Is that mm -hmm. going to be vastly different from the job data we talked about just a second ago? I don't think it'll be vastly different from the JOLTS mm. data. It may be different from the ADP data that came out today. There's usually a difference between the NFP data, which is from the U.S. government, and the ADP data that is calculated from a private sector company. And so the ADP data showed payrolls, I think, 20,000 below expectations. So Again, it's just confirming that that the jobs market is slowing. Now, it's slowing from an incredibly hot market. Mm. So 
this doesn't mean we're going into some desperate state. It just means that things are slowing from an incredibly hot market. But doesn't this then mean that the Fed has achieved its one of its mandates in the sense that the job market has to be robust, right? They need to actually ensure that there's no the unemployment isn't too high because we talk about inflation a lot, but we don't talk about the mm. other mandate that the Fed has, which is employment. Right. Yeah, I mean, the, the real issue with employment is is the super core inflation. So super core inflation is where those two overlap, right? And super core inflation is really service wages. And it's those services wages that have been pushing up. They've been persistent within the employment numbers. And so that's where you see the overlap of the jobs data and the inflation data. And that's really why the Fed is focused so much on super core, because what they've wanted to do is slow down those services, jobs, wages that have been rising so quickly. So are they doing their job in both counts? Yeah, I think they are. And I think it's it's really easy to knock on the Fed and criticize the Fed and say that they're not doing the right policies. But I actually think that they're doing an OK job. Tony, we always look at the effect of elevated interest rates on consumers. What has the impact been for corporates with significant debt levels? Are they in any danger of falling into debt distress at these current levels now? I don't really see companies, larger companies, fall into debt distress. So if we look at net interest paid as a percent of profits, we're at, I don't know if we're at historically low levels, but we're lower than we've been at any time since 1970 when this data started being held. So net interest as a percent of profits is around 3%, maybe a little bit lower. And so the Fed funds rate is, or Fed funds target is 5.25. So we're well below the Fed funds target. Then interest paid as a percent of profits is usually notably higher, at least a couple, if not a few percent higher than the Fed's target. So large companies are in pretty good shape. They can get better interest rates on savings than their net interest payments. So they're, you know, it's all good for big companies. The concern that I have is with smaller companies, because smaller companies are saying that as they try to take on new debt, they're seeing double digit interest rates. So mm-hmm. it's really expensive given the higher interest rates. It's relatively more expensive for smaller companies to take out new debt at a time that they're losing pricing power. So inflation is is ramping down. Uh, so in, smaller companies are losing the opportunity to capture more margin. And so the risk is with those smaller companies. So I wouldn't be surprised to see some stress within smaller companies. Tony, uh, in the middle of this year and gift giving and shopping season, there's a report on CNBC that says consumer spending is being financed by credit cards where interest is now over the top and possibly out of control. Some are expecting 2024 as well to be not as rosy with possible retrenchments maybe happening. How worried should we be? Oh, I think we should be worried. I think I think the credit card balances are up 40% from 2020 or something like that. And and if you think about credit as just borrowing from the future, right? I mean, you're consuming today what you would consume after you saved up that money. And so if people are accruing balances on credit cards, then that's future consumption. And so if people are financing their holiday spending or other things through credit cards, then it just tells me that we'll likely see weaker consumption in the future. And maybe that's two quarters out, but it is in the future and it, it comes at a cost. So I think it is something to to worry about. A lot of people love to talk about how Americans have cash on the sidelines or bank accounts are full or something like that. But if that was true, we wouldn't see credit card balances rise by 40%. So I think it's easy to to look at, say, the wealthiest of people saying they've accrued savings in a big way, but most Americans are not fortunate enough to be in that position. 
All right. Thank you very much uh, for your time. That was Tony Nash, CEO of Complete Intelligence. I think it's a very giving timely, a bit of a warning yeah. bell. No, it's it's a timely reminder because a lot of us don't realize that when you spend with your credit card, it comes back to bite you again, uh, bite you back in the future. So if you don't pay yeah, off you your pay balance off. in full, right? Exactly. And you're using yeah. your credit cards. In the interest builds up. Yes, yeah. it's eighteen percent here in Malaysia. I'm not sure what the figure is like in the United States. Basically, you're using debt to fund your lifestyle. And he did emphasize that credit card balances were up forty percent, you know. But a lot of people are gonna on buy now, pay later. So eventually, it will come mm. and bite you. Yeah. So there are many schemes, right, available even here in Malaysia. Buy now, pay later is one. Using your credit card is another. Using personal loans. So when you look at your total uh, debt servicing number, you have to figure all this in. All this is included, right? It's not necessarily just your your housing loan or your car loan, for example. Uh, but let's turn our attention to. In AI and the world of it in the sense that all these companies are trying to compete for a slice of it and AMD which is uh, Advanced Micro Devices has also joined the bandwagon they unveiled their new accelerated chips lineup the M1 or is it the MI300 they are able to run artificial intelligence software faster than rival products just, fi- just go figure okay because these chips con- contain more than 150 billion transistors and they are 2.4 times more memory than the NVIDIA's H100, the current market leader. So of course, clearly, they are here to compete with them. No pricing has been revealed though. This was all done yesterday, uh, last night in last US night. and I was listening to the uh, on-site radio interview that Bloomberg had with um, AMD's CEO. They are of course, clearly, clearly excited about this. Now, this will compete with NVIDIA's but in a budgeting market for AI accelerators, but no pricing again was revealed at this event. Surging demand for NVIDIA chips by data center operators. Well, that, that helped drive NVIDIA shares this year, sending the company's market value way past $1.1 trillion US dollars. And at that same AMD event, Meta, OpenAI and Microsoft they also said that they will use AM, AMD's newest AI chip, the Instinct MI300X. So this points to a sign that tech companies are searching for alternatives to the more expensive NVIDIA graphics processors. Meta and Microsoft were the two largest purchases of NVIDIA chips last uh, this year. Meta said it will use that same chip for AI inference workloads. Okay, so the stock is up 80% on a year-to-date basis. Trading only at 44 times PE. Uh, cheap when you think, you know, NVIDIA's <laughs> trading at much larger multiples uh, street loves it 39 buys 15 holes just one sell of course I think NVIDIA has, doesn't even have a single hole everybody's a buy uh, consensus target price 131 US dollars and 88 cents regular market hours however NV- AMD was down $1.56 to 116 US dollars and 82 cents um, that's all the corporate news up next of course we'll be looking at the top stories in the newspapers and portals this morning stay tuned for that BFM 89.9 You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.